thanks to our sponsor, Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, wouldn't you take it? Because our friends at Nintex want to give you a gift, the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products that you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to spend it how you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 350, where today, CJ and I are going to talk about Microsoft Cloud service updates, new certifications, and GKE is no longer free. Recorded live March the 5th, 2020. This episode is brought to you by AppPoint. If you like the Microsoft Cloud Show, you'll love the Shift Happens podcast with MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation project. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably rise when ambitious people try to impact their workspace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to avpoint.com slash blog slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Morning, CJ. Hey, bro. How's it going? I've I'm feeling good. I'm not feeling bad yet. I've got these weird flu-like symptoms coming on. I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's very good. Like, oh. Yeah. Have you caught the Kung flu? <laughs> I'm only joking. I don't have flu-like symptoms. I shouldn't really joke about that. It's pretty brutal. Microsoft closed its campus till end of March. Our school district with our kids in it closed for two weeks. MVP Summit is closed. Or is, MVP is, is going to go virtual. online. Yep. The GitHub conference in yeah. May has gone virtual. Google oh, I.O. Right. Has, go- has gotten canceled. Microsoft has pulled out of a couple game conferences. Avanade yeah. is down to central travel. Oh, no essential travel. No, sorry. No, only essential travel. Yeah, only like business critical travel. Yeah. Yeah, it's all on. I think we're up to about 10 deaths or so in Washington state, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is I mean, it's sad, obviously, but it's not too many people as general sense. But uh, I sort of get the suspicion that the U.S. is, you know, the U.S. is just ramping up at the moment. So we'll see. It does feel like, you know, it's at first when this whole, when this whole, well, I guess, you, what do you call it? COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus? Yeah. When it first started coming out, it was kind of like, all right, let's pay attention to this. This is interesting. It's an interesting news story, right? And now that it's, I mean, it seems to be that China's got a decent handle on it, and but it's now starting to r- really kind of run rampant across the rest of the world. Like you see in the U.S., you've got this, I mean, by the time this show comes out, hopefully it's not news, but you've got this news about a cruise ship that's docking in San Francisco today where like 11 people have come down, gotten sick with it, and it's two one person that was on a voyage, not the current voyage, but the voyage before, has already died, and... It's scary now to where it's just uh yeah. It's scary. I didn't I didn't expect it to kind of to go this long. I expected it to be one of those news stories that kind of peters out, but it's actually I'm not going to say I'm scared of it, 
but it's definitely one that's, I mean, it's concerning and how, I mean, especially in your backyard, it's a lot, it's kind of, a, you're a bit of a hotbed for it. It just makes you wary, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a big philosophical question for you. Sitting on the couch with the missus last night and she said, what's the virus's purpose? Like, what is it, you know, it goes into a host and then it, and it tries to kill it effectively or it ends up killing it in the process. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's our purpose? Like, we're the same as the virus. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? Like, oh God. Yeah. Is this one of those, I need another glass of wine, get off the couch, yeah, get another glass of wine? <laughs> basically, and I was like, we've taken over our host and we're slowly killing it. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had to do a quick trip flying up to North Carolina from Florida and then back. And I was, the planes that I was on, they didn't seem to have lower attendance, but definitely flying through Atlanta, it sure felt like the number of passengers was down about 20% or so. Mm. And I'm seeing pictures of friends that are flying in Europe and it's just like vacant planes. And yeah, I'm not at all eager at going into an indoor crowded place. I'm going, I'm going to a, yeah. I'm going to a sporting event in about a week or two, but I'm not at all interested in going to a, a crowded, like indoor, like a movie theater or anything like that right now. Not to be, not to be, you know, paranoid about it, but just, it's just, Here's the thing. Somebody was giving me grief about it, like going, oh, you're freaking out. You're freaking out. I'm like, no, you know, I'm not freaking out. But here's the thing. It was all a conversation about MVP Summit. I just said, if I happened to have been going this year, I would have canceled prior to them saying they canceled. Primarily because from the second I get to the airport, through the airport, flying to Seattle, the whole time there, and then flying back, you're at least a little bit more on edge trying to pay attention or paying attention to it. You hear somebody cough and you can't not just, you can't just ignore oh, yeah. it and be dismissive. Of course, yeah. So you're extra alert and then you get home and you know that for the next 14 days, you technically could be infected, not show any symptoms, but get other people around you infected. And then I've got elderly parents and I've got one of my, one of our, um, my mother-in-law who lives in a nursing home. So I'm just, you're kind of like, so it's almost for like an entire month. And it's just like, you know, I just don't see the benefit outweighing the potential risk. That's the part for me. It's a really low risk, but it's like, what are the benefits of running that risk, right? Very little. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to turn this into the Microsoft virus show or the, you know, the <laughs> Fair. the medical. I did see something on Facebook. It's like, it's really interesting because last week I had all these people who were political science experts. And now this week I have all these <laughs> medical experts in my feed. It's like, I, and it happened to be the same people. They're, they're the same people. This is really impressive. Last year, it was, they were all privacy experts. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some the great old, friends. Um, the quarterbacks. Yeah, got it. Anyway. Hey, another news. We've had him on the show before, a chap called Troy Hunt, who runs the Have I Been Pwned website. I don't know if you've been following... Him, but quite a while ago, I think 11 months ago or something like that, mm. he put out a piece of news that said he was going to try and sell Have I Been Pwned and obviously stay a part of it, but but also put it in the hands of something bigger than him so that it can be fed and watered and resourced better than he could provide it as a one-man show and things. Anyway, he's blogged recently that that process has come to an end and he's decided to not, well, I guess it was his decision-ish, I suppose. He's ended the process, let's put it that way. Mm. There was a deal on the table and it all fell through due to a bunch of reasons. You can read it in the post. It's nice and long, but I guess a couple of things out of this. One was really like congratulations on him going through this. It's a hell of a process. And he's basically said it was so taxing that he's going to continue running it. 
and going to get some additional help himself to run it. So that that's pretty cool because it's such a great resource. It's such a great resource for everybody. Mm, I have to go back and read this. I hadn't seen this yet. And then the second thing, it was like, I don't mean to sound disingenuous by this, so please, if you have this, then don't take this the wrong way, but it brought back, gave me weird twitches of like, PTSD of having gone through this process myself. <laughs> and I know I don't actually have PTSD, so that's what I meant about apologies. But mm-hmm. man, just reading this post just brought back a flood of memories about going through this with Hyperfish and the ups and downs and the emotional roller coaster and stuff. And so, yeah, I applaud him for doing it. Huh. Anyway, it's a fascinating read if you've never looked into the sort of stuff, the kinds of things that you go through. He's really transparent, which is which is really great. That's the part that I liked about when we were when we sat down and talked to him. I think it was about eleven months ago because we talked to him at the MVP summit last year, which was about March ish of last year. So, and then about a month later is when he came out with this news. Mm. It's nice to see when people are transparent like this because you don't get the real story. It's like I mean, from a dev point of view, it's kind of like these engineering blogs. Where you've got a, you know, here's how GitHub engineering, here's how we've done it, here's how Airbnb does it. Yeah. There was one that I just saw it came up the other day, which or came up yesterday about a company that does is using Kubernetes in a like a service mesh that they use. And here's right here it is, part one of you using it in production at what is it called? HelloFresh, the hmm. the meal delivery service. So it's interesting to see people dive into that stuff instead of the I don't know, like the random blogger, like like me putting a post out going, here's how you can do this. It's like great. What about over the long term with like at scale and what's it really like? Something a bit different, right? Yeah. yeah. Have you have you ever seen that? Speaking of that, have you ever seen a, a, a blog about the high frequency trader, the IT high frequency trader? Oh, it's good. It's like, if you Google it, there's something about high frequency trading and he talks about containers and he's the guy that started the whole, I substituted my monolith app for a container infrastructure and I've gone from having scale issues to now when something breaks, it's like a murder mystery. I can't figure out what, something broke and I can't figure out where it broke. (laughs) Oh my God, I can totally sympathize with that. Oh dear. We got something to talk about with that at the end of the show though. I got a pick for you. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, hey, what do you say we dive into the news? We got a couple things to go through today. So how about some news? Sounds good. This episode is sponsored by ShareGate. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know that they've always been all about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-service environment without worrying about the thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, aka Sprawl. That's where the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things that they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users that we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it for free for 30 days at sharegate.com slash cloud show. And now back to the show. Okay, I'm going to start us off. I got to... A bit of news here. Actually, I'm going to let you do our first one here. But the first bit of news that I want to cover is related to a a Microsoft program. It's called Microsoft for Startups. And this was launched about two years ago. And it was a replacement or the successor to BizSpark. And they talk about, then the update that they sent out at the time, this was under like NDA. It's no longer under NDA now. It's now public. But when they launched it, The idea was to capitalize on one of Microsoft's key differentiators in providing access to customer base and distribution channels. They set the goal to become the leading enterprise cloud for startups by delivering technology, go-to-market, community benefits to support the growth. Since then, 
Thousands of startups from more than 140 countries have connected their game-changing solutions to the world's leading enterprises. The ventures in the program close to 1 billion in new sales opportunities just in the previous year or in the year coming up. And they've raised over three founders in the program have raised over 3.5 billion in follow-on funding. So they've got two new things that they are announcing for new program benefits. One is as of the end of February, all new and current startups in the program get access to GitHub Enterprise, which is a bunch of enterprise features for source control stuff, which includes uh, DevOps kind of some stuff as well. And then also, they are also going to receive access to the Microsoft Power Platform, which that could be quite a big benefit there considering how expensive Power, Power Platform is if you're using like Flow or something. So those are two big things. Your Series A better be massive so that you can pay for all of your... <laughs> Well, all of your power apps and flows by the time you come off the startup program. I thought that that was just introducing uh, a new thing to the startup world of Series A1 and A2. So you'd have like two different uh, Series A, a funding, <laughs> but you have A1 and A2 uh, funding. So how they want to do their licensing. There's a premium A series. A pre- oh, dear. I guess the, the only thing that kind of, the, the only thing that kind of like irritates me about this startups program that Microsoft has, has created is that it's so targeted towards the startup and the funded world about, you know, seed rounds, A, B, C series and stuff. And it doesn't, I mean, people like me who like to do, who are bootstrapped and aren't looking for funding and investors and want to maintain, want to grow organically and not have a whole bunch of funding that dictates you have to grow fast at the, you know, you don't have to be profitable. You don't have to grow organically. Yeah. It's so slanted towards that. So it even says, you know, in the thing, it says startup nomination. If you know of a qualified B2B or seed to series C startup, we encourage you to nominate them today. I'm like, huh, okay. Yeah. That was annoying when we were doing Hyperfish, actually. We, you know, we qualified for Biz, uh, not BizSpark. Yeah, was it BizSpark? Yeah, BizSpark, but only the basic version. Mm-hmm. And to get the, the BizSpark Plus version or whatever, you had to be part of like a startup accelerator and all that sort of stuff. And we were, we weren't interested in any of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were excluded because of it which was pretty annoying. We didn't want to go raise money from a VC, which are typically what you need to do to, to be part of an accelerator and things. They're usually tied to VCs and stuff. Anyway, long story short, a similar kind of situation. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, I'm not saying that that's bad. It's a bad way to go to fund your company. It, it's a totally legitimate way to do it and works great for a lot of solutions it's, or a lot of different organizations. Just me personally, it's not the one that I like. I prefer to grow organically and controlled and stuff and not focus on crazy growth. The only crazy growth I want is the revenue. And that doesn't, if that means I'm not going to be able, I need tons of people, well, I'd rather grow slower. So no, exactly. Different strokes for different folks, right? Yep. In other news, Google Cloud Platform is doing the opposite of what everybody else in the cloud world is doing and is raising their prices. <laughs> <laughs> or introducing pricing. <laughs> yes. So that, that, yeah, that's true. So the Google Kubernetes Engine or GKE, which is the equivalent of AKS or Azure Kubernetes Service, in Azure is raising their prices starting in June to accrue a management fee of $0.10 per cluster per hour, which is about $73 by my calculations. I don't know if you read the Hacker News threads around this, but it was a bloodbath. I mean, it it was hilarious in some respects, but the amount of passion people are, or shade, yeah, passion and shade people have for this, throwing at Google, is unbelievable. For 73 bucks a month, that it's like hell's opened up and they're all being swallowed. Like it's bizarre. Like they're going nuts. Now I get it. You go from something that used to cost nothing to now you're having to pay for the man 
them. Basically, it's you've always paid for your worker nodes, but now Google are, are making you pay for the the management nodes behind that, or the the control plane part of the cluster. And AKS, you don't pay for that. You just pay for your worker nodes, right? And all the management plane is is free, or is included in the price. How about that? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but Google now have decided to charge for the management plane. And there was one comment in the Hacker News thread which I thought was really interesting, which was from somebody who worked at Google who said, there were a lot of zero-node clusters. Huh. This is designed to avoid people creating lots of zero-node clusters. And I was like, why would you have a zero-node cluster? That part I didn't understand. I don't know, maybe temporarily you scale up to lots of nodes and then you scale them down to zero nodes. Was it called the Kubelet? Where you can use something like, and I don't know, I can't remember what... Like a virtual kubelet? Yeah, and I can't remember what Google's offering is like, but in Azure, we have Azure Container Instances. So you don't manage the node, you spin up instances as you need them, and you pay kind of like, instead of web apps, you use Azure Functions. So Could be, yeah. Does a kubelet count as a node? I mean, I know it's a virtual node, but I wonder if it counts as a real node. I doubt it. Because like in, in Azure, for example, you get billed for the VMs, right? Those VMs that get spun up which are your worker nodes, you pay for those just like you would regular Azure. But if you've got a virtual kubelet, right, it's not an actual VM that shows up in your Azure subscription. So I, d- I doubt you'd be billed for it. So you don't see that as a node in when you in your management, in the management plane? Yes, you see it in Kubernetes, yeah. but you don't see it in your Azure portal. Like it's not an Azure asset, if that makes sense. Yeah, so okay, so in Kubernetes, in the management, in the management interface, when you go in, does it show that as a... As a node, yeah. Yeah. It does? Huh, I wonder if that... It Still, I mean, you're right. If I was working on something in my personal... No, if I had something in my, my, you know, my personal projects and I had a $73 or $76 cost that just started surfacing, you know, if I'm running a small business, is that a big deal? Like, I don't know. I mean, 70 bucks a month, is that... That's, you know, less than a cell phone bill. So I don't... Not really. It's really nothing if it's if it's, if it's commercial purposes. I mean, it's, it's nothing, right? And, People are bitching and moaning about, and I understand that people are flipping out about just in principle of all of a sudden getting a price introduced to it. But on the other side, I mean, yeah, it's right. It's like of all the shit that you got to deal with, you're really worried about 73 bucks? No, no. I'm going to go and manually provision and run my own Kubernetes cluster. $73? I can't possibly manage that. Yeah, it's ridiculous like that when you think about it like that. Yeah, I wonder if they're responding to the Hacker News thread on their brand new iPhone 11 X Pro 11. Yeah, 11 Pros with the three cameras. $1,000 phone, $1,500 phones. I don't know. (laughs) While they're sipping their $6 lattes every day for a month. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, dear. With the extra shot at us. Google are raising their prices. This is interesting, though, because nobody else is doing it, right? Azure's not done it yet. Maybe they will. I I doubt it, though. It's kind of been one of their things that they've, they introduced this free management. You don't pay for the management part of it. So. Yeah, I wonder if it's gonna. I wonder if they, if that's gonna give them any kind of air cover to be able to go do that. But ah, you know, who cares? Mm. Another bit of news I've got here is uh, from the Microsoft Certification Department, and you would think that this is not a cloud news thing, but they are in April 2020. They are introducing two brand new certifications. There's an Azure Database Administrator Associate and an Azure Data Analyst Associate. The idea behind these different certifications, again, we've talked about it in the past, specifically around the Microsoft 365 search, which we should be getting our results any day now, CJ. I heard it was the first half of March. I'm still waiting to find out if, how we did. I was did. really hoping you were going to bring that up. I'm just saying. <laughs> Do you, have you seen, have we gotten the results yet? 
I haven't seen him. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I looked probably last week and didn't see him. Yeah, same. The associate level is testing to make sure that you can implement stuff that you've been doing it. Like you have the experience of what would be considered like four years hands-on experience of this stuff so you could do it on your own. Each one of these certifications require their own single exams to pass. So the database administrator associate cert exam DP300 administering relational databases on Microsoft Azure, which I find kind of interesting because if you're a database administrator associate, I know relational databases, I'm not saying they're obsolete, but that's really just one part to the whole thing now with not with no SQL databases, but at any rate. And then the data analyst is, is DA, the exam that goes along with this one is DA100, analyzing data with Microsoft Power BI. Hmm. There you go. They should have a certification slightly alongside that, which is, you know, like DA50, understanding how the hell to do anything with Power BI. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I don't know, I just find it infuriating for some reason. I've never clicked. This podcast is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun provides full stack, error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers due to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time that you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com and get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experience of your users. And we're back. All right, so that covers just some generic news here. I found there's a bunch of stuff that's related to a bunch of different service updates and outages and stuff, both from the Microsoft 365 side and the Azure side. Before we do that, though, Microsoft did have a bit of an announcement that you captured for us. What, do you want to go ahead and share that with our listeners? Yes. So Microsoft is extending its contract with, or agreement, I suppose, with the NFL. You know how they've, they had an agreement around Surface with the NFL, right? So they've got Surface devices and all that sort of stuff that they use as part of the standard sort of NFL kit that the teams use in the games and all that sort of stuff for reviewing footage and all of that. Anyway, they've they've renewed that, their partnership, that started in 2013, actually. Mm, I didn't realize that was going on that long. Yeah. And um, they're now extending it to the use of Microsoft Teams as well. So I'm not sure exactly what the scenarios are that they're going to be using for Teams. You got a little snarky. I did too. Yeah, well, when I saw the tweet, I was like, hold on. I thought the players need to hear the play calls. But anyway. <laughs> oh, brutal. You said that, and I was like, what's the new feature? Is it no forced Windows updates on Sundays? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you bet, right? I bet these devices have some sort of magical patch that means that they don't get, they don't get, would you like to reboot right in the middle of a game? Mm. Yeah, so they've extended it again. I don't know how, exactly for how long, but it still includes Surface for doing, you know, on the field instant replays and reviewing calls and all that sort of stuff, but then also includes Teams. And so I imagine that will let, I'll be, I guess they'll be giving it to Teams, mm. to the NFL teams to use as part of their organization and stuff. I don't know. Teams get teams. Teams get teams. Franchises get teams. They can create a teams team for their team and teams. Okay. <laughs> so yes, you might see a few more can you hear me nows on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> a few more Bill Belichick throwing, throwing the surface around. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. 
So that's uh, that's the NFL and Microsoft. Awesome. I get one of two of our Azure. I don't know. I was going to call them outages, but it's not really an outage. It's more of a a notice. Anyway, it was an, it came out as a as a um, an advisory. So let's encrypt the certificate like the open source or free certificate issuing organization, they detected an issue with creating certificates in their code back on Friday, February the 28th. Once they confirmed it, within two minutes, they stopped issuing certificates and they had it fixed pretty darn quick. But what that means is, is effective, well, as of yesterday, March the 4th, they have started rolling through and expiring or revoking a bunch of active certificates to mitigate the security bug. Interesting. So the way you fix it is pretty, I mean, this is going to affect about 2.6% of all active certificates on Let's Encrypt, which, I mean, I think they, at the same time last week, I saw something about new, some of the news that they've published somewhere in the ballpark of, or created somewhere in the ballpark of 1 billion certs. So, I mean, it's still, it's like 100,000 certs. I mean, it's a pretty big or 10,000, something. It's a big number. It's a really big number. There's a way you can test it. There is an Azure service notification. The tracking ID for it is DLP4-LZ0. And there is an associated link that we're putting in the show notes that's from Let's Encrypt support that explains what happened. Actually, I should have looked at this before. 2.6 of the certificates are affected. That's 3.04 million currently valid certificates that are affected. So 3 million certs, that's a pretty big deal. I got an email from Azure saying, you're one of them. Oh, interesting. It was a web app that I was just screwing around with and I forgot was still there. So, and actually I had left it running, so I've been paying for it. So that was nice to be notified that I can go through and shut that down. Mm. But still, yeah, it's a big, little bit of a big cert news. Yeah. Now, I would like to help you on these other ones and walk through them, but I can't get to any of the links because... Oh. Guess why? Yeah, you got to be logged in, don't you? You got to be logged in, and you got to be an admin in an Office three sixty five tenant to get to them. And so these are this just annoys me to no end that you can't get to like these pages without having been logged in. So I could open an incognito browser and log into one of my where I'm an admin into my Office three sixty five tenants and stuff. But I'm not an admin in our normal org that I'm currently logged into, so I can't get to these at all. But basic auth retirement, that one really interests me. What's that one all about? Let me jump down to that one. I was going to do a different one first, but let's do that. So switch over to Microsoft 365, opening it really quick. And this one was basic auth uh, retirement. So plan for change. This came out on February the 26th, 2020. It is, the ID for it is MC204828. And what they're doing is they are they're going to retire basic auth starting on October the 13th, 2020 for EWS, EAS, EAS, IMAP, POP, and RPS to access Exchange online. It does not impact SMTP auth, but it's primarily around connecting to Exchange-y yep. stuff. Yep. That's the big one there. They talk about in the, the cert, it kind of talks about how you can address it. You can update client apps to use versions that support OAuth 2 because they're they're switching over from basic auth on all those different services over to OAuth, which, I mean, it really is just basic auth is just a legacy thing. Yeah, the problem is, like, one of the problems I've found is that there are some APIs that don't have scopes that allow you to call them using OAuth. So, for example, uh, yeah. the SharePoint Online profile management APIs, the old ones. Hmm. And so there is no scope 
there is user-based scope, OAuth scopes, but there's no admin scopes. And so if you need to, like, for example, say hypothetically there was an application that let you update people's profiles, <laughs> and it needed to edit a bunch of different users' profiles, there's no admin scope for that. So it's like you're hawked. Yeah. Same with EWS, I think. So, like, we use EWS to push people's photos into Exchange because, um, you know, there's multiple places photos need to go, and if you want them all up to date all at the exact same time, you've got to push them into all the different places all at the same time, and we do that with EWS to upload people's photos because, actually, in Exchange, your photo lives in your inbox. Anywho, it's a file in your inbox or something like that. But, yeah, there's, I don't believe there's scopes that allow you to do that for all users, but I will... Maybe that's changed, and we'll need to look at that. It looks like, well, again, I mean, there was only specific endpoints. Like it doesn't. So I understand what you're saying. I did find while you were while you were just sharing that that there is a blog post that they refer to that I posted and added to the show notes to where you can access it. It shows the blog post is actually is really good. It's not just explaining what they've done. This is a follow up to improvements that they've made or that they said that they announced they were going to start making from a few months ago to Exchange Online to improve security mm. and. One of the nice things in the blog post is it it walks through in quite a good bit of detail, including how to export the results and slice and dice them in Excel to be able to see what users are still logging in with basic auth using Outlook and how you can proactively reach out to them and say, go update your client. And so there's a it's a lot of really good detail in there. Instead, actually, though, as I'm starting to scroll through this, I do see, though it may re- it required a registry key to be enabled. So registry keys, so that maybe not might be good for users. Anyway. So yeah, so that's a that's a that's the basic auth retirement. There's another one that we had that is closely related to this about restricting form-based auth for Office apps. That's another one that I guess that you're not going to have access to. <laughs> it's loading now. At least you have the titles in there. I can kind of guess what's going on. Yeah, you have some stuff set up. So this one is and the scrolling stopped working. Thanks, Edge. This one was published on February the 12th, 2020. It's MC203731 and it's about to help They say, to help provide additional security coverage, we're changing from how form-based auth and office applications is handled. Form-based auth is a legacy authentication method for office resources that is not protected by Azure AD or Microsoft accounts. We'll be rolling out to the new, to the Office Pro Plus Monthly Insiders channel starting mid-February. Oh, great. So this is rolled out February 12th, which was mid-February. And other channels should expect the change to be deployed by the end of February. So by now, it's all done. <laughs> Gotta love it, guys. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, what did they give you? They gave you a 16 days notice, 17, sorry, leap year. They gave you 17 days notice that everyone's going to be affected mm. by this. But um, yeah, there, it walks you through and it's showing how form-based auth was going to effectively be disabled, how you can prepare for the change. They talk about group policy. That's all great. If you're not, if you're on Windows, if you're not on Windows and you're on a Mac, you're screwed. All right, got it. So that's another one just to go through and to share with everyone. Let's see. What else do we have that you're not going to have access to? Oh, here we go. Azure App Insights. Do you you use Azure App Insights? No. Ah, so that's why you didn't get this one. This is tracking ID. God, these get so more more complicated. S underscore 80 dash N98. Sounds like another virus. App Insights, all of a sudden, last week, what was this? This was... This started on May the 3rd. My phone started lighting up with all of these notifications and alerts of stuff that was going on. And effectively, what happened is App Insights and a bunch of parts of App Insights stopped working and started failing. And it wasn't really App Insights. 
surprise, surprise, it was a larger storage incident that dun, dun, had an dun. issue. Yeah, so it wasn't a, an expired cert, but it entered an unhealthy state and automatic failover did not occur. Seems to me like there needs to be a chaos monkey inside or a simian army inside of Azure. Something like that, yeah. But yeah, so they have things appear to be up and running again. They just, they have not published a root cause yet. It's supposed to be published in the next six days. Hmm. There's that one. Outages, huh? Pesky, yep. pesky outages. I've got one more notice here. I know I'm blazing through this. It's apparently my new show because, well, you have to be, if you're not an Office 365 admin, I'm helping you. So I'm actually making you aware of all this stuff. Yeah, thank you. That's great. <laughs> now, this one I was surprised at that we got. So this one came out on March the 4th, so just, a, just yesterday. This is MC 205458, and its title is Microsoft 365 Preparedness for COVID-19 Coronavirus and Guidance Regarding Best Practices for Microsoft Teams. This is interesting because it talks about how the virus, the human virus, could affect Microsoft 365, mm. like services and uptime. It says, Microsoft takes a broad approach to service continuity, including potential effects of an outbreak such as COVID-19. There are well, there are currently no foreseen impacts to Microsoft's operation of our services. We want to provide some detail regarding our preparedness should the situation change. Recognizing customers will have plans in place for enabling remote work in a situation like this. Ironically, they also went remote themselves. We are providing guidance regarding best practices under the actions you can take section to help maximize the benefits of Microsoft 365. It's a little kind of feel of, hey, here's what could be affecting us and how we're preparing for it. And then it's Kind of like a bit of a sales pitch on Teams, which is a little, doesn't really, feels a little sleazy. I have a friend who who works in Teams, and I texted him <laughs> texted him last night with a sort of cheeky comment that was like, how's the mad scramble adding servers as fast as you can going? <laughs> <laughs> Has he responded yet, or did he say, contact me through Teams? Yeah, I know he hasn't responded, which either means it's going really well or it's really poor. <laughs> or he's just slammed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yes, I, I well you know hey this is this is pretty interesting because I, I think Zoom and all these remote meetings technologies will be will be seeing unprecedented usage over the next couple of months. Let's put it that way. There's three sections to this one. It talks about impact to systems, about service and scale operations supporting system and external systems, impact to location. While all the services are designed for remote admin, however, with the recent news, the greater Seattle, Washington area represents a higher incidence of COVID-19. Want to provide specific details around support and services should Microsoft engineers be constrained to work from home because some people do have to play with servers. And then people. As the largest provider of commercial services, we have the capacity of ensuring continued operations with multiple subject matter experts in each discipline with geographic diversity being a consideration. So a deep on-call rotation allows for su sustained support issues should they arise, and employees responsible for managing the service all have access to needed resources to take action from home or the office. So, and then there's actions you can take. It's all about roll out teams, accelerate your deployment, stuff like that. Here's how to deal with remote work. Yeah, but I mean, that goes like Microsoft closed its campus till the end of the month. So yeah, they're starting to think about how to keep the lights on when everybody's working from home. It's a notice like this, and... Conferences being canceled, notices like this, and hearing that Microsoft has gone to to is is basically closing the campus, is what really kind of like made my eyes open up and kind of like going, okay, wait a minute, let me just take, let me pay a little bit, clo little bit closer yeah. attention to this yeah. because it just, I've never heard of something like this happening aside from a natural disaster, and so it's a, it just it catches your attention. You can't, so 
can't just ignore it. Fair, fair. Anyway. Hey, should we do some picks? I think we should do some picks. ACS Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, CJ, you got a pick for us this week? We actually have a, first up, we have a listener pick from our friend, oh, uh, Wichter, who's sent us a YouTube video from ULA, actually. So ULA is the United Launch Alliance, and that is like it's a US-based rocket manufacturer. And the pod or the YouTube video comes from Smarter Every Day. So Destin is a YouTuber, I suppose, and he puts out some fantastic videos. Like I really enjoy his content. Smarter Every Day is his channel. And anyway, this one is called How Rockets Are Made, Factory Tour of United Launch Alliance. Uh, Smarter Every Day, episode 231. And this is great because it goes through with... Tori Bruno, who's the CEO of ULA, and they basically walk through the factory in Decatur from one end of the factory where big blocks of materials arrive, like aluminum, aluminium, and all sorts of other bits and bobs come through big doors at one end, and rockets pop out at the other end of the factory, and they go through sort of each stage. And it's pretty unique because of ITAR regulations, which prevent access to these kinds of environments particularly often. And so he has to blur out some parts of the video because he's not allowed to show certain things. But it's a great level of access, and he's walking around with the CEO, and the CEO is just, he's legit, man. He knows his stuff, right? And it's just interesting to see how it all comes together. He's got a friendly, I was going to say rivalry, but that's really not, that's probably not fair, because I think a friendly respect with Elon, yeah. and Elon is, is mutual. Yeah, I have yet to watch this. I saw, it, I saw it mentioned in a bunch of different places in the last day or two, and I haven't had a chance to watch it, but... It is on my list. I will. It's long, but it's worth it. It's pretty interesting just to see how, like, how they make these, like, they make so much of the rocket in house, and uh, how they just make such big things. There you go. It's about a, yeah, fifty-four and change, fifty-four minutes and change. Yeah, it's worth the investment though if you're into that. Do you have a pick for us, my friend? I do. I'm going to call this pick back to the DeLorean. <laughs> I was going to call it Jeremy. Thank. <laughs> <laughs> So He loves these cars, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just kind of love the DeLorean too, even though it's a pile of turd of a car. But anyway, <laughs> the story, I think, is interesting in the, in the history of it. But anyway, DeLorean has confirmed that they are planning to redesign and produce a new line of DMC 12S cars. And they've got a picture of this thing, and oh my god, it sort of looks like the love child of a Lamborghini and a DeLorean, I've got to say. Yeah. I actually think it looks cooler than a Lamborghini but anyway, it's definitely a DeLorean. But what was really upsetting to me about this is that it's not all electric. You'd think of all the projects in the world that Elon would have wanted to get involved in, it's some sort of partnership between Tesla and DeLorean to do a limited run of DeLorean all-electric new versions. Mm -hmm. Just seems right up his alley. And this thing looks like a cross between the the Tesla truck and a DeLorean and a Lamborghini, if you think, like, you know, it's got that similar kind of material feel and things like that. So, anyway, it looks pretty interesting. I hope it does, I hope it drives better than the original because the original <laughs> was really quite a terrible car. <laughs> and yeah. Really, like, really all it had going for it is it looked kind of cool. <laughs> that was where it ended. 
It looks so much like a Lamborghini Huracan to me. It does quite a bit, yeah. But I mean, it's cool. Yeah. I just wish they'd done a partnership with Tesla on this. Like, imagine how cool this would be if your flux capacitor was like legitimately <laughs> a thing <laughs> that, that, that Tesla did with them. Right, amazing. Uh, that's cool. What do you got for us this week? Yeah, this came across my uh, this came across my desk last night, and I was gonna wait to hold it and have you look at it and share it with some people until this morning, because I wanted to get your first reaction. But it just takes takes about five minutes to watch it. You know the Hitler meme, and I forget the name of the I forget the name of the movie, but it's something like the classic movie where there's this is meme, and he talks about so many different things about they basically show him, tell him that. The, the war is, go, the Nazi uh, campaign is going very badly. And, and he loses his, loses his mind. Yeah, and just goes off on a rant. Yeah. Well, this one's about Hitler using Kubernetes. <laughs> I watched this yesterday when you sent it to me. So good. <laughs> it really is. It really is good. I mean, and it's, I think, I haven't used Kubernetes in production. And so I can't really appreciate it. They it Very much, they've gone make it seem like it's really bad. And it's more that in this case here, they it's highlighting the fact that there's so many different like bolt-ons and add-ons and things that you can add on to a Kubernetes uh, Kubernetes deployment that some stuff can be can make it really complicated. And you see him just getting all pissed off when he goes, ah, screw it, you know, we're going to build our own. Gonna put my own cluster and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> I love the reference to Kelsey Hightower in the middle yes. of the two. Yeah, we've like, had him on the show. How about that? He's famous. Yeah. We've referenced him in this, uh, this Hitler uses Kubernetes thing. It, you know, I was rolling in laughter because so much of it could be accurate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be as complicated, but if you if you let the nerds run wild, right, and they just start smashing on every add-on and everything that you could possibly think about, then sure, it could get this complicated and, and things could go sideways real quick. But I think the point of the video is like, man, these things can spiral out of control real fast, right? <laughs> and suddenly you've got this massive big ball of string and it was more complicated than if you just used VMs. Like he says in the video, he's just like, just want VMs. It <laughs> 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 was brilliant. Uh, yeah, it was good. It came out. It was. It was a good one. So that's my pick for the week. Excellent. That, I, I I roared with laughter at that one. That was really good. Just for you, my friend. Just Thank for you. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Well, I guess that wraps us up for the week. That's uh, we made it through another week. Episode three hundred and fifty. Every time we get to these like big round numbers, you know, twenty five episode milestones or something, it's just like God. I can't believe I've been doing it for this it's long. It's crazy, but isn't it? I listen to other podcasts and they're like going, "We've made it three years." I'm like, "Yeah, we've made it over six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, you got to start somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. It's been fun. Uh, I don't. All right, yes, man. I I don't know if you ever go look if you've ever gone and listened to our early like episode one and two and three. It's pretty entertaining. <laughs> it's kind of like a teenage. Well, never mind. Oh, a teenage. Yeah, teenagers fumbling around in the dark. Is that what you're about to say? I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> danger zone, man. Don't you have teenagers? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have <laughs> there one. You go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brutal. All right, man. Have a good one. <laughs> you too. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. 
You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.